Okay, so it's like 12.21 a.m. And I wasn't going to record until tomorrow. Well, later today, I guess, is the best way to put it. But for some reason, my mind is just like nonstop going. So I figure I might as well just do it now and get it over with. I was, um, I think I need like at least two minutes of just like random ramblings before I launch into this episode. I was in, um, God, I even feel guilty saying this. I was in a TikTok live earlier. I know, I know. And it was the most random conversation possible. And I'm sitting there and people are like listing their ages and some of them are drinking and saying what they're drinking. And as they're saying, these super sweet, very newbie drinks, no novice drinks, novice drinks. I'm not sure how you say that. I've always said it wrong. Um, I'm just like, wow, my age is really showing. And then they start talking about songs to play. And I mentioned, hey, why don't you play some Cuddy? And the person who's hosting live is like, I don't know who that is. And so I commented, I don't know if that made me really old or just super West Coast. I, I, I don't know. I've never heard of somebody who doesn't know Cuddy before. And I was mildly offended. Like, how do you not know Cuddy? He's a whole vibe. Like, he's, he's, he's a thing. Like, it, it's, it's Cuddy. Like, him humming is a soul sound. And then to not even put it on, like, I was offended. I was offended. But, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was an odd moment of realization in my life that I do things differently, apparently. Um, and this whole, like, TikTok thing... Like, I, I get it. Like, people are like, oh, it's for kids and blah, blah, blah. You know, cut it out. Don't, don't fucking go there with me. Because, let me tell you, there are some people on there who are well beyond 30, 40, who have quite a few followers and who are very, very interesting. And they have it figured out. And then there are a whole other set of people who are 25. They are social media ingenues. Like, they just get it. And they are gracious, and they know how to do it, and that is it. There is this one guy I follow. He is random as fuck, and I love every second of it. I, man, he's just, he's great. The one that I was in tonight was, um... It's a woman, a mom, and she's going through this incredibly, I guess the word would be traumatic because the amount of bullshit her soon-to-be ex-husband is, like, subjecting her to is, it's insane. I, there is incest, there is cheating, there is a whole level of just lying and ickiness to it that I am just continually blown away by and every time I think it's not going to get more disgusting it does and she's just going through it and people have opinions that are very very weird people are weird but, you know, it is what it is. We would not be going through what we're going through if we weren't. Anyhow, so that's about, well, I got like another 30 seconds. Um, so, yeah, it was just a weird, weird night. My mind's just like going of like random things I want to talk about. But how do you not know Cuddy? <laughs> I don't know. I'm still, I'm baffled by it. Um real quick before I jump into this episode um, you might get a lot of little 
background noise. I have my fans on right now simply because it's so late. Um, but other than that, should be good to go. So this episode is, I'm going to kind of branch out. I know I mentioned quite a few that I wanted to do, but I was caught off guard by a um, documentary that I came across on Hulu, I believe it was. And it was revisiting like popular crimes of the uh, early 2000s. And it was about Jodi Arias. I don't know if y'all remember that. It was uh, 2008, and she was the woman who killed her boyfriend by stabbing him um, approximately 28 times, slitting his throat, and shooting him in the back of the head, then stuffing him in the shower, and then he wasn't found, I think, for a few days after that happened. It's... She is super, like, petite from what I've seen in my opinion and I mean I don't know I'm more of a plus size girl so for to me she's petite and he's you know a huskier guy not like you know fat or anything but he's he's got some meat on him and so for her to like have stuffed him in the shower was crazy to me but then to hear like the amount of violence that went into his murder is pretty out there um So a little bit of background. Uh, When Travis Alexander was murdered, he was 30. He was Mormon. Had seven siblings. He was working for prepaid legal services. And I don't know. Oh God, I'm showing my age again. I don't know how many of you know what that is. But prepaid legal services was like a big deal. Like back in the day. For a lot of people, it was like a sales. I think there was some talk about it being the scam. But he was like a big salesman, motivational speaker for it. And that's how they met, was because she was joining. And they met in 2006. I believe it was in September of 2006. By November of the same year, she was converting to being a Mormon. That's crazy to me. And then by February of the next year, they were like exclusive. It's pretty fast. I got some fast work. Um, that's me typing. So if you hear that, don't be like alarmed. That's just me. Um, anyhow, so that's like some hot and heavy shit. That never ends well from what I've heard. And for those people who are like, oh, it did for me and I'm married and we have four kids and we're celebrating our 15th anniversary. Well, good for you. You're the exception to the rule because that shit does not work out for everybody. Anyhow, um, so they were on and off for about a year and a half and then his friends from what I've researched said that it was kind of a tumultuous relationship and they said that she was kind of crazy. Her friends didn't really, there wasn't too much about what her friends said. Then again, I didn't look too hard into like what she had published or anything like that. I mostly went off of the documentary and what I could find online about the case. Um, Her friends later came out and when the defense was putting psychologists and what on the stand were the messages between them excuse me were put out that she was they were trying to get her out of the relationship due to domestic abuse so all in all it does seem like it was a pretty torrid affair with their relationship so from 2006 to 2008 is when this whole thing happened. The breaking point that people reference is there was this trip to Mexico that was coming up. So with prepaid legal services, they had these conventions and these trips out of town. And she would accompany him. Well, this one trip to Mexico, and I guess this was at the end of, you know, their whole friends with benefits, no strings attached bullshit. She was supposed to go with him. 
I guess he had already listed her as his partner, but he never called to give her the details. He started to court another person. Ended up changing his mind around, let me just check, I want to say it was April of that year, 2008. Yeah. He was going to take her to Mexico instead. In the documentary, the defense, or the prosecution, excuse me, says that Arias learned about this and that's what set her off. Sounds likely. You know, I mean, it would piss me off. I don't know if it would piss me off enough to murder somebody, but it would piss me off. Especially if I've been giving it up the way that they make it sound. Um, again, not enough to murder somebody, but you know. Anyhow, so that was like the breaking point that they listed. According to the prosecution, that's like when she like snapped and she concocted this whole premeditated plan to murder him. That's really important because that was like the sticking point for the prosecution to try to get the death penalty. They wanted to prove it was premeditated. So they're saying that she went ahead and thought out how to murder this man and stab him 28 times, slit his throat, shoot him in the back of the head, and stuff him in the shower. That's crazy. That's like so much overkill. But that's what they said happened. So she actually had a really good alibi. She had that weekend that um, everything happened, which was June 2nd through the 4th, I believe. She was supposed to go and visit friends down in California. I, I can't remember exactly where. I want to say it was. I can't remember what part of California. I didn't write it down. But she was supposed to travel down through California. And then drive over to Salt Lake. To visit a boy. She, or not a boy. A man she was seeing. A new guy. So she rented a car. And then she was going to return the car from salt lake to redding california that i remember when she returned the car it had a total of here we go let's see 2800 miles on it there were no floor mats in the car and there were red stains on the front and rear seats but they could not prove that the stains were not there before because the car had been cleaned when she turned it in. I don't know if any of you have ever rented a car. Who washes and details it when you turn it in? I've never done that. That's like the whole point of like you just put the gas in it. But I don't know. Maybe. I don't, no. You don't do that. You don't do that weird and if there were stains on the seats I take pictures to show that no those were there beforehand but this was also in 2008 so maybe it wasn't that big of a deal pretty sure it was though yeah pretty sure it was kind of weird so she returns the car and in this whole time, like she said that she's left on 6-2 to go visit her friends. She gets to Salt Lake around 6-4. She gets back. She calls Travis on 6-6. He doesn't answer. She checks his voicemail. Yeah, she dials in to check his voicemail. They don't find him until June 9th. He had two roommates. There was a smell in the house. Why his roommates, who had a key to his room, did not check to see where he was when he missed conferences. There's a smell in the house. I don't know. I don't get it. But I guess the police officers were satisfied with the fact that they just said, Oh, well, we're bachelors. 
were used to it smelling. Like, that was the gist of it. I don't know. Kind of bunk, if you ask me. So, they found his body. And it was a mess. They found shell casings. They found a bloody handprint. And they found a camera in the washing machine. Inside the camera was an SD card. They didn't think they were going to be able to recover anything from it because it was in the washing machine. It had been turned on. It had been ruined. I don't remember how long it took, but eventually they were able to recover the photos from the camera. And that was like the most damning evidence. Initially, when everything happened, they did talk to Jody, and she basically said, no, I haven't seen him. I don't know what happened. She called. She offered her help, everything. So the, her first story was that she hadn't seen him. They weren't involved anymore. And once they started to recover the photos, they started to confront her with it, saying, hey, we know you saw him. And the photos were really explicit. Like, they were all photos of them being together, and they were date and time stamped. So, these sex photos were there, and then all of a sudden there's a photo of him lying on the ground, bloody, and there's a leg with sweatpants on, and like a foot. Granted, you can't really tell if it's her foot, because there's no tattoos or anything, but you can kind of guess. So, they use that, and um, she I, they showed like the interview that they did with her, and she doesn't really say much. She's like, oh, well, it does look like me, doesn't it? And that's just like the sex photos. And when the investigator like walks out of the room, she like starts singing like some weird Christmas song and she starts doing like some headstand or yoga pose. I, I don't know. It was very, very strange. But I, I guess you don't really know how someone's going to act when they do something like that. Like what is the appropriate conduct? I mean, you have theories and you have speculation, but I don't think I'd be singing a Christmas song if somebody was trying to accuse me of murder and showing me photos of my naked body. So on 6-9, they found his body. On June or July 9th, excuse me, they indicted her for um, his murder. She initially made up a story. Well, after she first said she wasn't there. Her initial story was that intruders broke in while she was there. And like basically held her hostage and like beat her and then like killed him and let her go. Because they were only there to kill him. It was extremely crazy. Like the amount of... I mean, just the overkill that they did to kill him. And then for them to just let her go after she saw all of it. She said it was a man and a woman wearing a ski mask. And they were looking for something in his closet. And the woman wanted to kill her. But the man wouldn't let him. Or her, excuse me. And saying, no, it's not what we're here for. And she ran out. That was her initial story. September 11th, <clears throat> she said she was not guilty. Two years later, she claimed self-defense and that she was a victim of domestic violence. I don't, I don't know how many times she changed her stories. She came out publicly, like, saying that she was never going to be found guilty. And then she said that she only said that because she was determined that if she was, she was going to kill herself. Like, this lady, I don't know if she's a chameleon or if she thinks that she is. Or if she wants to be. She's just, like, all over the place. And I don't think people buy into that. I don't think they can. Like, I think you have to be a special type of lunatic to do that. And I don't think she is. So, the trial starts. 
and she actually had some jurors that sympathized with her. There was a, a juror on the, the documentary that I watched that stated he had a real problem with listening to everything that they were saying about her and listening to what happened to her because he couldn't picture her doing all of this. And when they were saying that she thought about how to do all of this and planned it and concocted it and he could not believe it. Her looks alone evoke sympathy. That's what he said. And her size. And I think that that's important to note. Like people really do judge based off looks. It's their initial opinion, but when you hear what people are capable of, you can't. It's amazing. And I don't necessarily mean that in a good way, what people are capable of. So like to hear that this itty bitty thing could do all of this to a man who is easily twice her size. It's hard to believe, but anything's possible. So let's talk about the actual case for a little bit. So the prosecutor in it, he was basically like a bulldog. He was real big on getting the death penalty. And he was like hardcore, like on her ass. They played some of the um, the trial where her her attorney was basically saying yeah that's all he wanted is he just wanted to like get the death penalty that was it that was like his big thing and then they played part of the trial where you watch Jody and her attorney go back and forth and she really held her own at first and then he kept one of her defense tactics was that at part of during the murder she like didn't remember part of it like there were flashes that she doesn't remember and so he's hammering away at that part of it and she like buckles like he starts to say oh so you have memory problems she's like well I don't know if you would say that he's like oh well you have memory loss she's like yeah it's like spurts he's like so you have a memory problem and she like wouldn't relent she wouldn't say it's not necessarily a problem it's not necessarily like a disorder she just kept saying like it's just pieces that are missing And then all of a sudden he starts talking about like the violence of it and she just like cracks and she starts crying. And I don't know if that was necessarily like a good or a bad thing. They had an expert saying that it was like bad for her. And I think she was on the stand for like eight days and jurors were saying that that was really detrimental to her case because she couldn't keep up with the prosecutor. I don't know anybody who could being grilled for that long and being under a microscope for that long. It's pretty rough. And I'm not saying that she's owed any type of leniency. I'm just saying that's pretty rough. The prosecutor brought up tons of evidence, phone call lists um, from the beginning of the trip. So, from the time that she left California, there were seven calls made to Travis Alexander's phone. Apparently, at one point, they talked for, like, 40 minutes. And then, like, there was, like, a two-minute call before, supposedly, she arrived. I'm guessing that was the, oh, hey, I'm here call. Let me in. He brought that up. He brought up stuff about her ex-boyfriends he brought up an old girlfriend of Travis Alexander's who the defense tried to say was insistent on the sexual side and the prosecutor's like but she was young she didn't know did you know what a hard penis was did you understand that that's not what that means and it was really freaking awkward it was really weird I just said freaking after all the cussing I've done anyways The prosecutor is just this like crazy little man and that's my own personal opinion that's not anywhere in there but just like watching him he's just this determined guy 
and I don't know, maybe they have to be, but watching SVU, they're a lot more like suave. This guy was not. At one point, um, they're revisiting some of the relationship stuff that Travis and Jody were like going over or going through. And Jody claimed that Travis, like at one point when he was like beating her up, he was like kicking her on the ground or something and he like broke her finger and it like never went straight again. And she would like hold her finger up and it was like bent funny. And she kept doing it like on the stand. So the prosecutor, he makes her recount it again after the defense like presents it. He makes her recount it again. And then he pulls out this photo of her and her sister. And he says, what's the date of this photo? She's like, I'm not sure. And he, he pulls out the date stamp or something. And he's like, so this was after this alleged attack happened. She's like, yeah, it was apparently. He's like, look at your finger here. It's perfectly straight. He said, could you hold up your finger again? She holds up her finger again and it's bent. He's like, but here it's straight. She's like, it looks like it. She's like, it's just the way my hand is. Now, I'm watching her hold up this finger. I'm pretty sure she's just holding up her finger funny. But I don't know. I would like to see how she holds her finger up now, now that she's in jail. Like, is it still bent? Pretty sure it's not, but that's just me. It's just kind of, it was just weird. Like, there's just like some weird things. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's lying. I don't. It's just... You don't want to think that somebody would lie about domestic violence. You don't want to think that somebody would lie about that. But a non-broken finger is weird. It's a weird thing to lie about. And it's just like something that you, you only lie about it to bolster your case. So in addition to that, like she presented like, what was it? It was a video or voice recording that she had secretly recorded without Travis knowing of like phone sex that they had to show like he was like a sexual deviant and apparently Travis Alexander did not uh, did not think that anal sex was a form of sex I guess he I guess being Mormon you are not allowed to have actual intercourse before you're married well they were having anal sex I don't know if they were doing oral I think they were but she said that that's what they would do and she said like the first time I like, get really hurt she didn't want to do it and that's all they did in this phone sex call he talks about tying her to a tree and having anal sex with her and you hear her giggle, and you hear her talk about coming, and you hear him telling her to do it. And she's like, oh, I already did. And I can't imagine his seven siblings sitting there and listening to their brother talk like that. Or her parents. It's just, ugh. It's just, no, no. No thanks. I'm good. And then she tried to present like evidence that he was a pedophile. I don't think there was any physical evidence of it. It was just like her saying that's what she found. And frankly, like I didn't want to look too much into that to see if there was any because I don't really want that on my computer. If there is, I don't want to know. I don't want that on my hard drive. I'm good. Um got better at the ums if you haven't noticed the other thing that I thought was interesting let me just skip over to my notes one moment <laughs> sorry if it sounds a little choppy I wrote these out like a little while ago and I wanted to make sure I got like the interesting parts in here because it is an older case. And I know some of the other stuff I'm going to be doing is older too, but this one was so widely covered and I was kind of nervous about doing it, but it's just kind of sensational. Like the whole thing, like her being a woman and being on trial and 
possibly getting the death penalty and oh sorry I hope you didn't hear that <laughs> and then just like the whole sexual side of it and everything is just crazy okay back to the case so the defense attorneys brought forward a psychotherapist and a psychologist who claimed that she had acute stress disorder an anxiety disorder and then she was a victim of um, domestic violence the psychologist who said that she had um, the acute stress disorder was basically triggered by the fight or flight response and that was what was causing her memory lapses the missing parts of it and that she also had PTSD so that was also kind of enabling it so that's why she had these bursts of memory that just weren't there about the attack the prosecutor basically accused that psychologist of an improper relationship and a bias of Jody or for Jody so basically saying hey you have feelings for her because she's pretty and young he also went on to say to media or in a book that like she was basically like a dumb waitress that was his impression of her come on dude really anyways so then the prosecutor presents their own um, clinical psychologist who claims that no she doesn't have PTSD she doesn't have she's not a victim of domestic violence she has borderline personality disorder she basically is just immature and she's just you know she, she doesn't have her own identity so then the defense brings back another psychologist who says no she has this anxiety disorder borderline personality disorder is not accurate there are so many witnesses who testify to say there's something wrong with this girl in the head I, I don't know what they needed so many for I mean couldn't they just all agree something's wrong it's not okay I, I, I don't know. I mean, the borderline personality disorder to me sounded correct in the sense because to switch from growing up in a typical Mexican family, from what it sounded like, her um, she had a Mexican father. I think her mom was German and English or something. And um, I probably shouldn't say it without like double checking that. I don't want to misquote let me just check my facts um but her dad was Mexican I remember reading that so I'm assuming and I believe in the documentary it said that she was Catholic but to switch from that to Mormon it's really really quick yeah okay so her uh, rewind her father's Mexican ancestry and her mother's German and English does not state what she was before she was converting to the Church of Latter-day Saints. But I want to say in the documentary, it did say that she was Catholic beforehand. Um, anyhow, it just, you know, it just sounds like to me when you go so quickly from that, from the, the time you meet somebody, to converting to a religion two months later you're searching for a new identity you're trying to find a permanent spot and then again if it was an abusive relationship if it if he was that type of mastermind which he is, was a very successful motivational speaker they said that and you have to have a type of talent to do that you have to be, have a silver tongue a way of reaching people to be that good and there are multiple reports of how successful he was so it's it's possible he's just that good maybe she was a little brainwashed maybe he broke her I don't know I mean again anything's possible um, 
one interesting thing that I found though is that initially the defense requested copies of messages and emails that the prosecution had and the prosecution and I want to say the initial investigator said there was nothing of importance they didn't want to turn it over why is that even allowed like can you just not want to turn over evidence or something like that where there's email exchanges between them like that doesn't make any sense to me um see now I'm saying I'm again like I, I woke up the devil um oh my gosh I have to stop so in 2011 so here we are <laughs> she was indicted again one more time to refresh your memory September I'm sorry she was indicted in July of 2008 and then in January 2011 the defense filed a motion to obtain text messages and emails between Arias and Alexander and the prosecution initially told them nope there was nothing and then the initial investigator said there's nothing out of the ordinary you don't need it five months later in June 8,000 messages were turned over 8,000 are you kidding me of course there's stuff in there that needs to be reviewed so they released some of these messages that were in there in the documentary and some of the messages that re they released were exchanges between Alexander and Arias but the ones that stood out to me were the ones between Arias and then her new beau that she was basically her alibi the guy in Salt Lake where she was detailing how her relationship was with Alexander now that they were split and she would say like she was trying to keep it civil but it wasn't that way and she tried to stay away from him but she was she was very honest that they still messed around sometimes and he kind of commended her for being so honest and he stated you know at least you're trying to get away from it at least you're trying to get out you're doing this and you're doing that and I don't know if somebody says those things to build up an alibi or if you're really saying those things because that's the truth part of it seemed like it was false and then another part of it just seemed really real they don't have the document link to what I was looking at and I've been trying to look for it but the transcripts are a little bit harder to find because well obviously they didn't want to release them anyhow so they go through all this testimony they go through all of these different witnesses and they brought her grandparents on the stand too that was a big turning point during all of this when they're establishing the premeditation they're establishing motive they're establishing how she did it why she did it there's this event this was like the the big aha moment there's this event that happens on May 28th now pay attention to that date May 28th earlier I told you that they met 2006 okay 2008 is when he was murdered he was murdered in June of 2008 okay so this is all a year and a half okay June of 2008 June 2nd of 2008 is when she left to basically go down to Arizona this is what the prosecution theorized she drove down from California to Arizona to go see him murder him and then drove to Salt Lake and then came back up to Redding to establish her alibi called him on 6-6 left voicemails checked his voicemail to establish her, all of her alibi he wasn't found to 6-9 okay on 528 
her grandparents, who she was living with, okay? Their home was broken into. Now, that's important. The reason that's important, one, she moved in with them in April. April of 2007, I want to say, because when they were still together then, no, I'm sorry, April 2008, not 2007. Strike that, rewind it. So the same year he was murdered, April 2008, they're broken up. She moves to Eureka, California to live with her grandparents. May 28th, their house is broken into. The most important thing that's stolen from their house is a gun. 25 caliber gun. I go back to the beginning of this podcast. They found a bloody handprint, him stuffed in the shower, and shell casings. The shell casings were 25 caliber shell casings. They never found the gun. They never found who broke into her grandparents' house. They put her grandparents onto the stand to testify what happened the day of the burglary. They said someone broke into the house. Jody pulls up, oh, what happened? Someone broke into the house, they stole the gun. Jody wasn't there when they found out it was broken into. She pulled up later. So her own grandparents had to do that. That was like their smoking gun, so to speak. In addition to that, this was one thing that I found interesting. In the documentary, they said that the prosecutor held on to not only the gun evidence, but they put her ex-boyfriend from right before she started dating Travis Alexander onto the stand. And this is a little bit of a discrepancy, so I'm just going to point that out there now. They said they put her ex-boyfriend onto the stand and they asked him, well, the defense first had him do a character witness testimony. The prosecution asked him before she left on her trip through California to Salt Lake, did she come visit you? He said, yes, yes, she did. What happened? She asked to borrow a gas can. Did you lend it to her? Yes, I did. The theory was she borrowed the gas can so that way she could fill up before she got to Arizona and then use the gas can to fill up while she's in Arizona and never have to buy gas there. Never have to buy anything there. So there's no trace of her being in Arizona clever so when I was doing my research again before I did this they say that's not who testified about it they said that a Walmart clerk was the one who testified so it says Arias bought a five gallon gas can from Walmart in Salinas, California on June 3rd and returned it the same day. The prosecution called an employee from the Walmart and she stated no one returned a gas can on that date and that Arias returned the gas can a week later rather than on June 3rd. The gas can evidence is seen as important in establishing premeditation. So I'm not entirely sure why the documentary said the ex-boyfriend did it versus why this one is saying Walmart. It seems to me like the Walmart one would be more accurate. So I'm going to write that down because I'm going to fact check that because I thought the boyfriend thing was really interesting because it would make more sense to me if you're trying to not have any type of receipt trail to ask somebody you trust because she was even friendly with his kid. I would ask the person with the kid. I wouldn't go to Walmart. Can't trust Walmart. I don't even like walking in there. I don't go to Walmart anymore. Fuck that. 
Anyhow, so all that happens. They try to establish Travis Alexander as being this big boogeyman. They don't. Um, does not go well for her. All of the things that she's done before that, um, as far as her alternate interviews, putting makeup on before she gives interviews. I mean, Nancy Grace, like, had a field day with her. Just, they just, they can't do it. Oh, oh, oh. Rewind, sorry. The handprint. I didn't mention the handprint evidence. The handprint on the wall contained her blood and his blood. girl you took the time to put the camera in the washing machine but not get the handprint off the wall how do you explain that okay so let's just say okay I mean we're saying anything is possible here but let's say okay they've determined she's done it so we're going with that theory you take the time to establish the alibi of your driving to Salt Lake. You don't buy gas in Arizona so no one knows you're there. You phone call him six times, seven times, whatever before then. Then you call him again afterwards and leave fake voicemails and check his voicemail. Offer your help to police. You do all this other stuff to kind of fake your innocence. But you don't wipe the bloody handprint off the wall. Like, they can't match it to your hand, and then it you're bleeding. The guy in Salt Lake that you were dating said you dyed your hair. Dyed your hair. From bleach blonde to brunette, and you had cuts on your hands. If you have cuts on your hands, you had to have leave blood at the scene. If you washed the car... And there's blood on the seats, stains on the seats. You throw the floor mats out. And I'm just saying this is all 100% correct. What the prosecution's saying. You know you've gotten rid of blood. Wash the handprint. It just, ugh. I don't know. It's all, it's all crazy to me. It just seems so manic to do so much and then so little at the same time. Ultimately, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, she's found guilty. Again, the jurors could not um, concur on the premeditation. And two sets of um, jurors could not give her the death penalty. They were just, they, they couldn't do it. So she ended up getting life sentence with the po possibility of parole. She's filed appeals, of course. The last appeal, I want to say, was denied because they said that there was too much evidence against her for it to be even looked at. However, interesting tidbit that just came up in <clears throat> excuse me I forgot to bring my water with me so my throat is a little hoarse right now but this is about the prosecutor so this is new in July of 2020 the prosecutor was disbarred so this bulldog prosecutor who just wanted to put her to death is no longer an attorney and he is no longer an attorney due to misconduct allegations for linking info to a woman he was having an affair with, communicating with a dismissed juror, sexual harassment against co-workers. The phrase, and I quote, was, climb her like a statue. That's just one of them. He was also accused of gaining profit from the Arias case. Published a book about it, which I'm not surprised, but. So. When 
Arias filed her appeal. They cited him as... Okay, we're reading my writing now. Oh, unfounded allegations. This was These were things that they said he did. Improperly questioning witnesses. Corrupting the press. And I want to say this says rigging evidence. Let me just double check that because my handwriting was terrible there because I was in a hurry. I wanted to get to the next story of it. But, so they went ahead and did this, this big thing about him. So the prosecutor's name was Juan Martinez. I wasn't going to use his name, but because it's out there and you guys might want to look it up. He was disbarred this year and he consented to this disbarment. Now, when somebody like goes ahead and files charges for you to be disbarred, you can contest it. And then you can basically, you have your own trial. Initially, he did contest the charges. And then he just like gave up. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I don't know the actual legal um, back and forth. But from what the article says, he states, and I quote, I acknowledge that charges have been made against me. I have read the charges. I have denied the charges and continue to do so. Nevertheless, I no longer desire to defend the charges, but wish to consent to disbarment. My consent is not an admission. So, take that for what you will. I personally think it says a lot. Then again, maybe he's just older and doesn't feel like he needs to say anything. But if somebody says that, hey, this prosecutor, this prominent attorney is saying he's going to climb me like a statue. That's not good. Yeah, there's quite a bit of complaints against him that they list. It's just, ugh. It's disgusting. The amount of things that come out over time. Just don't be a dirty person. Just don't. Um, the article goes on to list more of the stuff about how he made his bones off of Arius. I hate that like saying, but that's really what it is. Um, it lists the quote, Arius always struck me as the bad waitress type. She would probably be looking down at customers, smiling at them with a fake happy look and giving them bad service. Like what? How fucking judgy of you and what a shitbag thing to say. I don't even know. I don't even know like what you're talking about. Like really? It just sounds like such a trash bag thing to say. He continues to say, in a bad waitress type, they bring the food cold, but it isn't their fault. But the coffee isn't right, but she didn't make it. That's sort of how I saw her. So, she's just not to blame. Like, you could just say, like, why can't you just say, oh, well, just nothing's her fault. Like, you had to go on and, like, list her as, like, a lowlife and just, like, word it to where she's just, I, I don't know. He just makes it sound like a waitress is just such like scum and I, I just I didn't appreciate it and I'm sure like no I'm not I'm not reading into it he really made it to sound like it was just like a low level like job and she was just scum of the earth like he just ugh, he's just like a snob anyhow in addition to that which only gives her defense team ammunition to file another appeal her original defense attorney, who I didn't think did a terrible job, but I really feel like he had his work super cut out for him. Like, bruh, yeah, you, uh, you weren't doing that great. His name was Kirk Nermi. I think I said that right. Nermi. And you are, am I? Probably shouldn't have spelled that out, but <clears throat> excuse me. Should have grabbed water. Yeah, Kirk Nermy. He was also disbarred. 
Can you guess what for? I bet you can if you really think about it. Again. Doing something about the Arias case. He was accused of violating his attorney ethic rules. Want to know what about? <sighs> he revealed confidential conversations that he had with Arias and her family. That breaches attorney-client privilege. And I know that you guys have heard of that before because everybody loves attorney-client privilege. He admitted it. He said, yeah, I did it. He agreed to the disbarment. So, I don't know what's going to happen. She was um, denied her first appeal in 2016. She did speak publicly again to a rapper who I've never heard of. His name is... Um, what was it? Kareem, quote unquote, Lefty Williams. I have never heard of him. I did not look him up because there, there was way more to go over than figuring out who Kareem Lefty Williams was. But basically, she did this interview with him and she complained about prison. Woman, I know. We, we, we know it's, it's not the Four Seasons. She complained about the food. I don't know what to tell you. No one has ever said the food in prison is good. I am... Um, you, you killed a man. And let's just, let's just go with what was founded. Let's just stick with that. Like, you killed a man. You are not going to get hot meals all the time. You are not going to get good meals all the time. You don't have rights like that. And... Don't get me wrong. I'm all for prison reform. I'm all for making, you know, this world a better place. And I do not think that the prison system is just, but I am not impressed with her having a 2016 interview complaining about the prison food. So there's not much about her in the news today other than trying to get appeals trying to um I don't know if she's trying to get out but I think she's just trying to get a lesser sentence honestly she is what prison is she at that's one thing I didn't even look up I didn't even look at where she's at because I'm sure she's getting so much just like male and just celebrity status still because it was such a sensationalized case and I don't know how I feel about that I don't think I could I know some people write to prisoners and do all that I mean the making of a murderer Stephen Avery I mean people just love him they write to him and all this other stuff and I get it I mean the it's just so sensationalized. I don't think I could. Um, this says she was in Arizona. Let me see if they did move her, if she's still there. So many articles about her. You know what? I was watching in the documentary while I'm looking this up and while you're waiting for me to look it up because I'm not as prepared as I should be. Hmm, sorry. Um, her parents said that there was just like this moment when she was a teenager. She was always a good student. She was like a, a good kid and they never really had to do anything with her but one day like they found like pot or something in her room and they disciplined her and she like switched she, like, never trusted them again. Isn't that weird? I wonder if that was, like, like a telltale sign. Like, if something really happened. Or if she just, like, made it up in her head. Because her mom 
upset. I think it was her mom. She said something about her confronting Jody about having this like awful childhood or something. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, you just like made it up. She's like, you didn't have a bad childhood. I wonder if that's like written anywhere. I'd like to put that out there because that's really interesting to me. I wonder what was like so significant about that moment and why after that her relationship changed so drastically. Like what betrayal she felt. I don't know. The brain is really strange. I think emotions are really strange. Especially with that. Like, I can't imagine being that upset. Again, not going to Mexico or having so much sex for 24 hours and then stabbing somebody 28 times. Like, what? The only person who knows what really happened is her and him. He's not talking. She's not talking. I mean, to anyone that I know of. I'm sure somebody from prison will say something. Someday. Let's see. Okay, so let's see. They requested a mistrial several times due to prosecutor from hell. Probably shouldn't say that. I mean, he did his job, but he's just a disgusting person. Ooh. Says the attorney for Arias, who was not involved in her appeal, filed complaints against Martinez, who's the prosecutor, on other matters with the state bar. Good grief. Well, this didn't tell me where she's at. I'm guessing she's still in Arizona. It's not saying she's anywhere else. No, here we go. Maybe this will tell me more. Oh my gosh, my computer just like hates me sometimes. Do you guys ever have that problem? I have that problem a lot. Anyhow, let me wrap this up because I'm over my time. I did a lot more than I thought I was going to do. Some of these are going to be short because... Ooh, he was loud and obnoxious. Why do I even have my volume on? I thought I turned it off. Um, some of these are going to be short because I'd like to get more up there. And for some of the things that I have to do, I'm actually trying to align my teeth at the same time. And I can only have my aligners out for a certain amount of time during the day. Actually, I'm supposed to have them in now, but... Like I said, I couldn't turn my brain off. So. Oh, man. So there's going to be a new Lifetime special called Jody Arias Cellmate Secrets. Well, that's out. I guess I'm going to have to update this one. Oh, boy. I'm guessing it's probably going to have the information about the prosecutor and the defense attorney. But we'll see what other secrets there are. It looks like she's still in Arizona, Joe. Anyhow, so that's this episode. Questions, comments, concerns. If you want to fact check me or you want to correct me, please do so. I am more than willing to talk about it or to hear about it and to correct myself. Um, follow me. I am on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Rough cut. You can find me there. Um, send me your show ideas. I think I'm going to do kind of a happier one this next one because this one was a little dark. The 28 stabbings was a lot. Um, I think I might do a music one. Kind of feeling it. The not knowing who Cuddy was really bummed me out. Anyhow, um, but I want to get some more people involved first. Uh, I think my favorite side piece is coming into town the next week or so. So I think I might wrangle him into doing a side piece Sunday with me. But anyhow, let me wrap this up. I need, oh, also, I need to get some music intro stuff in here. <sighs> Throwing out a couple of ideas. I need to get my media person on, in on an excuse me. That's awful. Also, I'll be posting more photos from my photo shoots I did and doing a couple more. 
like them let me know which ones you like best gotta get a couple flyers done so i can have new artwork up but yeah i hope to hear from you guys soon have a good night get some rest if it's during the day where you are then have a good day and stay well stay healthy be a good person wear a mask it's a thing i promise and yeah talk to you soon see ya